We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Are you working? What kind of work do you do? Welcome to another episode of the Spurs Up Show, presented by the Armchair Americans. I'm your host, Chris Phillips. Joined, as always, with my co-host, Thomas Floyd. Got a packed show for you guys today, breaking everything down with the Gamecocks. 41-17 loss to the Georgia Bulldogs on Saturday afternoon. Also going to be previewing the Marshall Thundering Herd and that game coming up on Saturday. Uh, but first, this is a podcast presented to you by the Armchair Americans. Please be sure to go online to armchairamericans.com. Check us out our podcast there. We also cover everything from professional to collegiate sports. We're also doing gambling, esports, fantasy, things like that. Also, if you're not subscribed yet, not sure what you're doing at this point, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet by far, please be sure to go online, rate, subscribe, share, and download the Spurs Up show on iTunes, the Stitcher app, wherever you consume your media, wherever you consume your podcast, please be sure to check us out there. You can also find us on social media on Twitter, at the Spurs Up Show, also our Armchair South Carolina accounts on Twitter, Instagram, at Armchair S Car, also on Facebook, Armchair South Carolina. And again, this is a podcast presented to you by the Armchair Americans. So please be sure to go to armchairallamericans.com for all of your latest breaking Gamecock coverage, news, and our podcast, of course. Also, we got to give a big shout out to our friends over at My Bookie. You know, Tom, ever since I started the podcast, people ask me every single week, you know, we talk about, we put out the spread for South Carolina games every week, what South Carolina's favorite or spread is on the game, what the over under is, but people always ask me for betting advice. We actually had in our Slack channel earlier this week or actually on Saturday, what was the lock of the week? I gave Arizona state money line. They wound up beating Michigan state on Saturday, which was a fun game. Um, but the truth is, you know, I don't always know who's going to win, Tom. But if you think you know, you got to check out my bookie. Remember, who you're betting on is just as important as who you're betting with. That's why I always tell people, bet with my bookie. I would only recommend the service to my listeners. It's been good to me. That's why I'm urging you guys to make your way to my bookie. You win and they pay. They've actually got in-game live betting, the most rewarding player perks in the business. And for you fantasy guys out there with fantasy football being in full swing now with the NFL being back, They've actually got where you can bet the over-under how many fantasy points a player will score in each game. If it was me, I should have bet the under on all my fantasy guys because I lost in all three of my leagues this weekend. So pretty pretty sour start for me to fantasy football. But please join now. Join my bookie. They're going to match your deposit dollar for dollar. So, Tom, you put $1,000 in there. 
they're going to match you. They're going to give you another thousand to play with. So you got 2000 now to bet on or a bet with, please use the promo code spurs. That's S P U R S to activate the offer. Visit my bookie online today. That's M Y B O O K I E. Don't forget to use the promo code spurs when creating your account to claim up to a thousand dollars in free play. You play, you win, you get paid. All right. Again, I'm joined with my colleague, my co-host, as always, Thomas Floyd. Tom, appreciate you coming on the show again. Uh, how you doing? Obviously, you are not in class this week as class has been canceled for South Carolina. I know you're enjoying that as you just woke up. Obviously. Woke up from a nap right before we jumped on the show. Well, it's great to be back, as always. Sucks that, you know, South Carolina had to get beat by a million at home again, but it is what it is, man. No, yeah, and I was going to talk about, you know, we're just going to jump right into it. South Carolina, obviously, a disappointing 41-17 to loss at home on Saturday. You know, it's been a game that's been broken down many different ways on social media, obviously, for any of you guys that follow Armchair South Carolina, and definitely for you guys that follow me on social media personally. You've seen a lot of different takes, a lot of different breakdowns of the game. But, Tom, I'll ask you, just talk about kind of before we dive into everything really deep. You know, we were both at the game Saturday, actually got to meet up at the tailgate. Talk about just kind of your initial reactions of the overall day and the game itself. I mean, I think that was one of the most insane atmospheres I've ever been in. After we scored that touchdown with Brian Edwards or with Debo to Brian, but that touchdown pass and then Rashad Fenton gets picked the next series. I think that was the loudest it's ever been in my, you know, think in what I can remember against playing somebody in Williams Bryce or, you know, even more than Clemson when I've been to those games, just had absolutely how much pandemonium it felt like. But, I just, it, you know, you feel like if some a couple of things swing your way here and there, you're in that game. You probably maybe even be up and going into the second half against Georgia. But I just think that you could tell at the end of that game how better how better Georgia was in South Carolina depth wise, and obviously it showed a lot. And I think it's gonna it's probably continue to go um, continue to grow. I mean, and long. Bad words today for some reason. We just woke up and I'm guys, you got to give me a break. But um, anyway, I just think that that talent gap is just going to keep widening probably if I had to guess just from bird's eye view. Because if you, if you really look at it, you know, you go two years ago, we lose at home by two touchdowns on that Sunday game. Last year, we only lose by touch, two touchdowns in Georgia. And I would have thought that team last year was more talented than this team. And then you come this year and you lose 41-17 at home. Something's not right there. I just don't get that. Somebody could explain that one to me. It would, make, it would be great, but I just don't get it right now. Yeah, I mean, my, my initial reactions overall, like you said, I thought the crowd was absolutely fantastic. I mean, I, I agree with you. I don't know if it's the loudest I've ever heard because I've definitely heard some crazy moments. But the uh, the, the, the the sequence of the touchdown from Debo to Brian Edwards and then the pick, the pick by Rashad Fenton. I mean, you could definitely feel the momentum and the crowd went absolutely nuts. And I just thought overall game day, it was a fantastic atmosphere. South Carolina fans showed up and showed out in the heat. You know, it was another hot one, but overall, yeah, just, you know, the only emotion I had when I left the stadium, because I stayed in, you know, stayed in the stadium with the clock at zero and, you know, I was angry a little bit in the third quarter, but, you know, you get beat that badly. I wasn't so much angry as I was just disappointed that South Carolina on the national stage, again, failed to really show up, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, but let's just move right into it, kind of breaking everything down more in depth, talking just offense first. And, Tom, I want you to start on this topic first, because obviously you know, and, again, many of you have probably seen, I've got a lot of opinions on this topic, but talk about what you saw from Jake Bentley on Saturday, what you didn't see from Jake Bentley. Obviously, he was one of our big keys going into this game. Just your overall analysis and your overall play from, you know, from what you saw from Bentley on Saturday. Well, I think Saturday proved how 
Jake Bentley is just slightly above a mediocre quarterback in the SEC. I don't think he's – you'd still think after this point that he can go out and throw 50 passes and beat anybody on the schedule like, you know, like a Johnny Manziel could do at A&M or somebody like that. You're wrong. He's not Connor Shaw. He's not Dylan Thompson. He just isn't. There's no way to, like, be around it. He can't out-throw people and beat them. He proved that Saturday. And if you didn't believe it from his previous games and what he did, you know, against Clemson and Georgia and Florida before that, it's obvious now. I just think that he's just ex- he's just an extremely slightly above average quarterback, and there's no other way to like no other way to say it really. He just is, doesn't he doesn't show up in big games. If you look at Kentucky last year, Clemson last year, and Georgia this year, that's three different games against elite opponents that he's just played. Kentucky and Georgia were obviously, or Kentucky and Clemson were obviously worse. He throws the pick six against um, Clemson. You know, Kentucky at home, they lose, but he was still, I mean, it's Kentucky, so he really didn't have that bad of a game. In the, but it just makes you wonder, like, what, how, really, how overall good do you think Jake Billy is? Or do these NFL scouts think he is to be a, a first round or second round graded draft pick? Obviously, it seems like he has his tools. Maybe it's a mental thing. He just mentally isn't there during the games. I don't know if that's it or not, but it's just it's kind of disappointing considering the hype that was brought in with him after he beat Tennessee two years ago at home. But it just kind of makes you wish. It there's just moments where you could tell like he's right there at it, and then it just everything goes. And obviously, his play against Georgia, the pick wasn't his fault. Hit Rico in the hands, but he didn't do he didn't do anything to. Really, I would say lose the game against Georgia, but he didn't do anything to win. And you have to do stuff to win against a team like that. Elite teams, when you have a team with a talent gap like South Carolina and Georgia do, you have to have elite quarterback play. And if you don't have elite quarterback play, then you're going to lose 41 17 at home. Yeah. I mean, I've, it's crazy. I've talked about this so much and just have given my thoughts so much on social media, but I'm going to try to do it again here. But yeah, I mean, it was it was extremely disappointing. And, I mean, I, I talked with this in our interview that's coming up later in the show with Rob Paul, who is our armchair, armchair NFL guy, really breaks everything down. He he's obviously knows the NFL very well. And the, th- the thing I talked to him most about Jake Bentley is, you know, there, there comes a point to me where somebody just kind of shows you – somebody shows you who they are, and for a while you kind of hope they're turning into something different. And then I don't want to say you lose hope, but you just sort of you sort of just come to accept and come to the reality that you know what this is who he is or this is who this person is. They're not going to change, and that's just kind of at the point where I am with Jake Bentley. You know, there's no knock on him. I mean, I think he's a middle of the pack SEC quarterback, which is a lot better than most of us can say, or you know, a lot of other guys in college football can say. But you know, there was a lot of hype and hope for him after that 2016 game against Tennessee. What he could do, what kind of dynamic player he could be, but. You know, the stats don't lie. I mean, I think he's one in six against Georgia, Florida, and Clemson. And, I mean, you know, that's one game you didn't bring up. Tom was last year against Florida. I mean, South Carolina won that game. He played terribly. I mean, I thought that was maybe his worst game as a South Carolina quarterback, even in a win. He was terrible in that game. And, you know, I've said it this week. I think Jake Bentley – I had a friend of mine that said it very well a couple years ago that he – even when Jake Bentley first, you know, became the starter and everything – Jake Bentley is the sacrificial lamb of Carolina football. And I asked him, you know, what do you mean by that? He basically said that Jake Bentley is good enough to lead South Carolina out of the depths they were in that 3-9 and 2015 season. I mean, 2016 was going a very similar route with, you know, 
Brandon McIlwain, Perry Orth, those guys were on the offense. Yeah, I mean, it was going a very similar route. It, would, it, would, it could have been a very, very, very bad season. Jake Bentley was the answer and was good enough to lead South Carolina out of the depths of that, bring them to a bowl game, bring them to nine wins a year ago. But he's not good enough to push them over to the next level, which is double-digit wins, really, truly contending for the SEC East, really, truly contending to go to Atlanta. He's not an elite-level quarterback. He's just kind of a middle-of-the-road, middle-of-the-pack you know, quarterback. And I think the most disappointing thing to me is, is that I really thought that he had that in him, that championship effort, that next gear, if you will. You know, we talked about it last week. Pretty much every South Carolina quarterback and really any successful quarterback in college, they have that, that career-defining moment. They have that defining moment. You, you know, every quarterback we think back, and we think back Connor Shaw, you think about the second half against Missouri. You think about, you know, 2013 against Clemson or really any of his games against Clemson. You think about 2012 against Georgia. There are, just, there are games that I can think off the top of my head, and I'm like, man, like that was his day. That was his moment. He elevated his play. He elevated the team's play around him. I mean, we obviously know what Steven Garcia's is. 2010 Alabama, he played out of his mind that day. His career-defining moment. I just don't know that Jake Bentley's ever going to leave South Carolina and we're going to go, that's the moment. That was the career-defining moment for Jake Bentley. And it's just so disappointing that he had another opportunity on Saturday to have one of those career-defining moments and just fell flat on his face. I mean, listen, I, I know it, I'm not – before we get too deep in the podcast, I'm not putting the blame 100% on Jake Bentley that – he is the sole reason why South Carolina lost. But like you said, he didn't do anything to help to, to, to make them win. You know what I mean? He, he was serviceable. He was okay. But you can see it in his game when he gets back there. He's timid. He, he looks scared. He, he cowers against top-notch competition. Again, Jake Milley's going to have a fine year this year. South Carolina's going to win eight or nine games. He's going to have, you know, fairly impressive stats. But Against top-level competition, against elite-level competition, Jake Bentley does not rise. Uh, he does not rise to the occasion. And you know, if people want to get upset and angry, and I, like I, I said this before this week, if you want to unfollow me, you want to unfollow this account, that's perfectly fine. But I'm telling you the truth and the facts, and the facts are in the statistics. He's thrown two touchdowns and 11 interceptions against Georgia, Florida, and Clemson. He's thrown as many pick sixes as he has touchdowns. Whether the one to Rico was his fault or not. Jake Bentley, and I've heard this before. He, I've heard this all week, you know, six drops. There were six drops by receivers. Jake Bentley has a bad habit of trying to get his receivers killed. So I'm not surprised that, you know, and there was one that Debo dropped. I'm saying, listen, Debo, Debo's due for a drop. He, I mean, <laughs> what mistakes does Debo make? He had one drop, okay? It's going to happen. But it's, it's more so, it's not the throws that Jake Bentley does make, in my opinion. It's the throws that he doesn't make. It's the wide-open guys that he just doesn't see. And, it, you know, Gamecockology, you know, a friend of our show, a friend of our accounts, whatever, he, he pointed this out as well, had a couple screenshots of guys wide open. You had Tyson Williams on a wheel route down by the goal line he completely didn't see. Obviously, multiple times where he didn't see Shy Smith wide open. And it, I just said that it feels like to me at this point, it feels like you could look at almost every play and there's a guy wide open he doesn't see. It's like when he gets against this top, the top-level competition, it feels like the game almost moves too fast for him. Like he, he's – the game is moving at such a rate at which he cannot process it. Because to me, he looks – again, we talked with this about Rob, Rob Paul, and I thought it was a really interesting thing he talked about was Jake Bentley's poise about that he needs to improve his poise. And I 100% agree because against the better teams, and you saw on Saturday, 
He just does not have the poise of a championship-level quarterback. And to me, it's just disappointing, if nothing else. And I'll be honest, again, I, I my expectations for the season for Jake Bentley specifically, they haven't changed a whole lot. But it just gives me less hope that, again, South Carolina has 0%. I'm, I'm sorry. They have 0% chance to go into Clemson and win, not with Jake Bentley at quarterback. And it just it, – it makes me nervous to think – because I think South Carolina can still rattle off three or four wins in a row. And what happens when you, if you get a big home game against Texas A&M and South Carolina's ranked and maybe A&M's ranked, what confidence do fans, what, what confidence should anyone have at this point that Jake Bentley is going to show up and play well? I mean, there's none. I mean, there's no, there's nothing that points to that Jake Bentley should play well. So again, I'm not trying to just knock the kid. Obviously I pull for the guy every Saturday, but the truth and the reality is that Jake Bentley is a bridge quarterback until South Carolina can find a truly elite option. And I don't know if it's going to be to carry on Joyner. I don't know if it's going to be Jay Urich. I don't know if it's going to be Ryan Holinsky, Luke Doty. I don't know who it is. Maybe it's none of those guys, but Jake Bentley is just not an elite option. He's not a quarterback that's going to lead South Carolina to Atlanta. And he's not a guy, you know, maybe it's, it, it is, I said this this week as well. The quarterback gets all, way too much of the credit when things go well. And he gets all of the blame when things go bad. But you can ask anyone in any type of leadership position, whether they're a starting quarterback for a football team, they're a head coach, they're a CEO, they're a general manager, anyone in any type of leadership position, they'll tell you that's how it is. That's what you sign up for when you take that job, when you take that role. And I'm sure he understands that. So in my opinion, again, the offense, the run game, which we're going to talk about in a second, was just non-existent on Saturday. Um, but it all starts with number 19. You, you can just see it in his eyes and the way he drops that. He sets the tempo for that game. He, he, sets, the, he sets the tone of that game. And, and to me, it just he's just not a guy you can depend on in that situation that I can feel good about going into a big-time game that, hey, Jake Bentley is going to make his, team, his teammates better around him today. He's going to give us a chance, a real true chance, to win or that he's even got that in him that he could go out there throw for 300 yards you know take some chances down the field make some big time plays I just don't see that in Jake Bentley and again it's a shame and I'm not trying to knock the kid but it's just the honest truth at this point so that's pretty much my, my Jake Bentley take pretty long-winded but you know it, it just a lot to dig in a lot to dive into from from Saturday from his play but I talked a little about the run game Tom uh you know, obviously apologize. I went on a rant there, but talk about the run game. Uh, you know, I think in your opinion, they went a little, went away from the run game a little too early. Obviously South Carolina comes out five wide empty backfield set, which I think was very surprising to a lot of people. They didn't run the ball at all in that first drive, which again resulted in the pick six, but talk about what you saw. I mean, do you think they abandoned the run game or didn't, do you think their, their game plan was flawed from the start as far as not trying to establish the run early on? I mean, obviously against a team like Georgia, I think it would make sense to, get it going on the ground early. That way you could, you know, get the safeties up, let Debo or Brian get up and deep. But I think they just abandoned the run game. I mean, obviously Rico didn't have a good day, seven carries for 18 yards, only 2.6 average. But, I mean, Tyson was six for 26, and I think that most of that came in the first half. So, obviously, I mean, if you're, you're going to have to four and five and three Georgia until you break a couple, you know, 10, 15 yards just to wear them out. And it seemed like going into the end – Going into the end of the first half, they were wearing Georgia out by running the ball, passing the ball, that touchdown drive they had, and another drive they had where they we kicked the field goal close to the end of the half. You know, both right. really both really good drives. They just abandoned the run game, and I think that you know, obviously, Jake Billy didn't play well enough to beat Georgia, but he also didn't have a run game to support him at all. 
any quarterback who's going to play a team with a big as a talent gap, gap as Georgia and South Carolina has, you have to have run game. You can't. Jake only threw it almost 50 times. He only had 269 yards. Something ain't right there. The man's got to get the ball more down the field, in my opinion. I think he's got to start throwing the ball more than just five yards from the line of scrimmage. I think there are other things there with him that need to be addressed. But I just think that they went away from the run game way too early. Yeah, no, I I, t- I tend to agree with you as well. And, I, you know, I just think that – yeah, I mean, they, they should have started, I think, running the football a little bit more as well. I mean, coming out with five wide was really, really interesting for sure. But, um, yeah, I mean, those drives that they had in the first half that were successful, I thought they had a really good pace going. The tempo, like, it was doing pretty well. I mean, um, like you said, I thought Tyson looked really good. I mean, Rico had his struggles early on, but, you know, we know he's a good running back. But I think I think Tyson, just kind of going off, <clears throat> kind of side note, Tyson has really impressed me through two weeks, by the way. I think he might be the best running back on South Carolina's team at this point. You know, again, not trying to take anything, anything away from Rico because I was so high on him after week one, but yeah. Tyson has just impressed me. He's done a lot better, than I think, than I even expected. But anyways, yeah, I mean, the thing about it is, is I don't think the coaching staff believe they could run the football in Georgia. And that's yeah. some conversations I've had from some other people where they've actually, you know, they have some insider sources where they've talked to, you know, different coaches and stuff. I don't think South Carolina's coaching staff believed that they could run the football. I think that's why the game plan was, all right, we're going to spread them out. We're going to try these quick hitters. Let's get the ball to our playmakers. And I think maybe they were trying to use the pass to open up the run. But, I mean, I 100% agree. I think you have to be able to identify. Again, we talked about Jake Bentley's shortcomings in big games. Well, then we need to – you need to get the the run game revved up and figured out because – you know, it's pretty apparent you're not going to win one of these big games without being able to rush the football for 100 yards. I mean, it shows last season. South comes 8-0 when they ran the ball for 100 yards or more. 0-4 when they – or I guess 9-0 when they ran the ball for 100 yards or more. 0-4 when they ran for less than 100 yards. I mean, it's just, it's not rocket science there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, but it also, again, you say they went away from the running game, but when you're down the entire game, when you get down 7 nothing, 14 yeah. nothing like that, I mean, you can almost leave yourself no choice but to pass the football. So, and then you come out after halftime, you get punched in the mouth. It's 27 to 10. I mean, at that point, you, you just kind of have to just sling it around the yard and hope you can kind of hit, hit a big play here or there. But uh, one of the guys that we obviously had a key matchup for was Debo Samuel going against the, uh, the corner, DeAndre Baker. Um, Baker definitely got the best of Debo. Debo did not have a good day on Saturday. I think Georgia did a really good job of shutting him down. Uh, I agree with you again, Tom. I, I don't know that South Carolina really – they didn't go down the field enough. I mean, that's obvious given. But I really thought they were trying to force feed him the football. When Georgia was obviously keyed in on Debo Samuel, they all knew who Debo Samuel was. Do you think that they – you know, I, again, I don't know if it was maybe in the game plan. Maybe it's Jake Bentley is just trying to, again, force it to Debo. Talk about what you saw from Debo Samuel on Saturday. You know, how, how do you think – do you think it was more so – you know, he had a bad game. Do you think Georgia compensated for him well? I mean, or do you think South Carolina just didn't game plan correctly to get him the football in you know, I mean, successful situations? I just think that when you obviously have a playmaker like Debo, other teams going to key on him. And you should know that coming in, that Kirby Smart's going to try to take away your best player. Who is Debo Samuel? And I don't think they completely took him away. I think that Jake tried to force feed him too much. I think that – and, and, and Debo did get a good job of – getting some flags called on him and there was people saying that he got held like every play and they were extremely physical with Debo but I mean obviously when you're supposed to be an extremely good you know talented wide receiver supposed to be a first round pick you should be able to make some big plays against the elite level talent like Georgia you know maybe Jake didn't get in the ball like he needed to but I just think that when you have 
Georgia is so focused on Debo, that's when you go to Shy or Trey, your third and fourth options, and even throw the D ball to Brian like they did when he had that long touchdown, even though we were down by like 40. Um, I just think that you have to go to your other options then because obviously there were a lot of times – I mean, Shy Smith didn't drop a ball as a freshman. Throw the, dude, throw the balls away some. I just, that's just one thing that's just getting to me the more I think about is how Shai Smith only had two receptions the entire game against Georgia. Uh, we have to be able to get the ball towards Josh Van, Casey Crosby, or Trey, and Shai. Even Tyson Williams, man, he always looks good catching the ball. Like, we need to get the ball more, get the ball to, his, to him in space a lot more than we are right now. Yeah, and that's – I will say this, Tom, you know, obviously Rico Dowdle has caught a good bit of heat this week for, you know, he had the – the tip ball that was the pick six. He had the, you know, he had a drop pass on the next possession on third down. But is that really his skill set? I mean, I feel like that should be Tyson Williams' deal. I mean, I feel like he's more of the the pass catching back guy out of the backfield is going to make a play in, in that way. I mean, Rico Dotto had eleven catches the entire season last year. So I, I know he was hurt, yeah. but that just doesn't feel like his game. So I agree with you; they need to use him more in the passing game. But yeah, it. it it definitely irked me a little bit. And again, I, I think it sort of goes back to, I, got, I mean, I've got to say it's Jake Bentley decision-making because again, there are, there are times you can freeze the frame on the play and there's shot Smith's open. I mean, there are other guys open. We well, saw I mean, the screenshots on social media. So, you know, it, it's, it's very, it, it's very strange. They didn't go to other options when you have shy or Trey, Brian Edwards. I mean, it just didn't make a whole lot of sense. But go ahead. What were you about to say? I was I was just going to say, when you think about it, out of Rico, AJ, and Tyson, you know, consider all three of them, who's, who do you think can probably catch the ball the best out of the backfield and make plays in space? Yeah, I mean, I would think Tyson for sure. I'm, or I mean, AJ. Tyson or AJ. Why would you put right. Rico in a position where he can't succeed like that? Obviously, right. Rico is a, is a pretty, you know, decent catcher. You know, had a touchdown against Missouri his freshman year. That was really – Really good. Caught the ball from linebackers back. But you think about last year against NC State, he almost touched that wide – he almost dropped that wide open wheel route yeah. to go up – you know, I think it was – was it not to open the game, but to go up 14-7, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mm. mean, it just it just kind of irks you to, like, think that – obviously, he's shown that he's not that amazing of a pass catcher in space. So, maybe we should just put AJ in a position to succeed where Rico really can as much. Yeah, and I mean, again, it's another thing where, you know, he already doesn't have great hands. He especially doesn't have great hands when your quarterback throws it in 95 miles an hour. But yeah. that's not here or there. But, yeah, I, I just thought South Carolina, they need to realize when they play really against anybody, but especially a defense like Georgia, that while they lost a ton in the secondary, Georgia's got a ton of good athletes. They've got a ton of top-level recruits. I mean, they're going to key in on Debo Samuel. You've got other weapons. Just use them. That's all you got to do. So that was definitely disappointing. Um, and I think if you use those other, we those other weapons, it's going to give Debo more one-on-one -on -one chances, and Debo is going to win a one-on-one -on -one chance more often than not. So, you know, I definitely think they got to get better in that. I thought, you know, Tom, what I was kind of, you know, what I, what I was impressed with, I thought the offensive line was solid overall as far as pass protection. I mean, I thought they – and that, that, was, <laughs> that was the thing that makes Jake Bentley's performance that much more disappointing is I thought the, the O-line protection and pass protection was solid. I mean, I thought they kept him upright for the most part. Um, obviously rushing the football was tough, but again, you get down 14, nothing. I mean, you're not going to be that committed to running the football. And like you said, when they did run, when they really committed to running, I mean, I thought they had some success here or there. Um, obviously, you know, Will Muschamp talked about today at his presser, they talked to Brian McClendon, so they need to be a little more hard headed as far as establishing the run, running the football early on, which I a hundred percent agree with, but you know, overall, Tom, talk about what you saw from the offensive line. I mean, again, they they went up against a great defensive front in Georgia. I thought overall, 
you know, if there is a big positive to come away from this offensive line moving forward in the season, it's that I think South Carolina really does have a solid offensive line that against everyone else on their schedule besides Clemson, who, again, has maybe the best defensive line in the country, I think South Carolina should be able to have a fair amount of success, not only in pass protection, but I think also running the football if they really commit to it. I think with the guys they have, they should be able to have some success this year with that core group of guys. I mean, they only had – Georgia as a team had one sack the entire game, six tackles for loss, two quarterback hurries, and that's it. I mean, obviously, when you play in, you're playing a team like Georgia with an elite defense line and an elite defensively minded head coach, you would think they would get better stats than that up. I just think that, you know, they did really play – they played really well. I think the run game, obviously, there was room for improvement. But like you said, when you're down big, you kind of got to throw the ball, get it in space, and try to make chunk plays instead of sitting there, you know, try to gas people on the ground when you're down by that much. I think they played well. I don't think there's really much to say about other than that, though. Yeah, no, absolutely, 100%. Uh, I mentioned Brian McClendon a little bit. You know, Tom, I, I think we'll probably be doing this every game because it is Brian McClendon's, you know, first overall season being offensive coordinator. Talk about what you thought from him. What would you give Brian McClendon, you know, if you had to grade him on his play calling Saturday, what, what grade would you give him for the day he had against Georgia? I mean, obviously, the, I think as a team, they saw something in the five wide out. Um, in that five wide out they went to to begin the game, I just think that, I think if he'd have went to the run game more, it probably would have been better. But I'd have to say like a C-minus maybe. I just think that there are going to be a lot of growing pains with him. Obviously, when you're playing against a team like Georgia with a great great defensive staff, it's always it's not going to be easy for you when you're a first-year OC. But he did really well against Michigan last year, so that gives me hope. I mean, there were times like, you know, I think something that kind of reminds you of Spurrier with um, Brian McClendon was that fake, you know, the trick play would you know, toss it to Debo, like throw a touchdown Brian. But right. I think that, you know, there are signs to be, you know, be happy about in that game that you can see. Yeah, I mean, I, I give him a C plus. I mean, I, again, I think he's he's not going to be perfect in his first season. I mean, second yeah. overall game is OC. and But, I mean, I, you know, I think Dan Werner is kind of in his ear and helping. I, I just, you know, again, I hate to keep harping on it going back, but I, I think Brian McClendon and Dan Werner maybe put too much trust and faith in what Jake Bentley could do. I mean, I, I just – I really think it's at that point where I hope those guys can, you know, again, not in a bad way. You just got to – you have to cater your scheme to the guys you have, right? And it just comes to me, again, we're not going to come out and Jake Bentley's not going to throw it 50 times and we're going to win. There's just – I just don't see that happening. So, you need to be able – again, I think the biggest key to the season moving forward for South Carolina to have a nine, maybe even a ten-win season, it's still possible if they get this figured out or get things figured out is – we need to get the run game going. The run game needs to be a consistent part of the offense. I mean, I'd like to see Jake Bentley move more towards a game manager because I feel like that's just kind of what he is. Don't turn the football over. Get the ball to your playmakers. Maybe make the occasional down-the-field pass. But obviously what you have seen is that putting all of that on him and saying, hey, Jake, go win us a football game. Go out there, lead our offense, command this offense. It's more often than not, not going to work so you know I think I think Brian McClendon is obviously going to get better um again he's really you know this is only a second game being OC so I think he's going to get a lot better um I'd probably give him a C plus for Saturday but you know overall it's, it's really I'm sure it's tough to call a game when you get down 14 nothing before you can blink you know what I mean so again uh tough day for yeah. the offense for sure I mean you had what two offensive touchdowns and one was a Debo Samuel pass and one came when the Gamecocks were down 41 to 10 so um, moving over to the defensive side of the ball, I mean, not much better. South Carolina was pretty solid in the first half. I mean, I thought the Gamecocks, you know, really held their own, Tom, as far as in that first half, really 
contained the running game for Georgia, you know, pressured from into some tough situations. He obviously had the uh, the interception, Rashad Fenton with the interception, where I, I, I put on Twitter that Javon Kinlaw put the fear of God in Jake Fromm because it was so funny to see from the field level where you just see this massive Javon Kinlaw coming on, and you can just tell Jake Fromm, it's like, just get this football anywhere but in my hands because I do not want yeah. this big-ass this, this big dude to tackle me right now. But, you know, I'll ask you the question, Tommy, what – what happened in the second half? Because Georgia comes out, it's 20 to 10. They come out, storm down the field, it's 27 to 10. South Carolina goes three and out. They get the ball back, storm back down the field, go 34 to 10. And, you know, by then the game was over. What, what did you see? I mean, what did you think happened from that first half to the second half? I mean, I think that they were in the game. Obviously, the, the depth, you know, the difference of depth showed in the second half. But I think the biggest takeaway there is that, South Carolina mentally checked out of that game after they went down 27 to 10. A 17-point deficit at home is something you can come back from. And I don't know if South Carolina doesn't understand that or their players just knew at that point. The offense isn't working. We're going to get scored on more. This game's over. And I don't – but some, it just it just makes you – it's just frustrating to see because you want your team to always show effort and fight. South Carolina didn't do that against Georgia. And I don't know if it was really just that big of a depth thing the second half that calls that, but I just think that you could tell South Carolina they just weren't in the game mentally after going down twenty-seven to ten. Yeah, no, I hundred percent agree with you, and that's something T.J. Brunson talked about in the post-game presser. Is you know he could tell he was very he was visibly frustrated with uh with with some of his teammates talking about guys you need know, to understand it's a four-quarter game. Um, you know, we'll get to special teams in a second, which I think changed the entire momentum going into that second half. But yeah, it, it was just a different story. I mean, I, I thought that Georgia's Georgia's depth on the offensive line definitely showed. Um, you know, it's funny. They, they had an offensive lineman get hurt. Everybody was talking about this on Twitter. They had an offensive lineman get hurt. Who did they put in? Another five-star, Cade Mays, um, a kid that absolutely huge. I mean, I, I saw a couple different times Rick Sandage in there just getting absolutely bullied around. Welcome to SEC football. Um, I, yeah, but I think Georgia's depth just took over. But, yeah, I was, I, was, I was disturbed by the lack of effort, for sure, on the defensive side. I mean, I just – I thought, you know, you could just see it in South Carolina's players once Georgia started driving. I mean, here's the crazy thing, too, Tom. They didn't have a single third down that drive to open the second half. Just ran just ran down the field. I mean, never even got really challenged on that drive. So, um, but, I mean, trying to take away some positive. I mean, overall, again, I thought South Carolina in the first half did a pretty good job as far as holding Georgia in check. I mean, I thought they yeah. made Jake Brom look pretty human. I, I mean, you know, he didn't do anything crazy, but – that second half, it was just really disappointing more so to see the miscommunications, to see the, you know, guys not getting lined up. I mean, you had Miko Hardman just wide open down the field on a, on a seam route. He scores for an easy touchdown. Um, you had the play where Miko Hardman, again, is just uncovered. Um, they hit him in like a little, almost like a little screen play, and Steven Montag has to try to run over, make a tackle, takes a bad angle, misses terribly. He goes in for a touchdown. I mean, it was just mistake after mistake by the yeah. defense in the second half, and I think Unfortunately, what happened on Saturday is that in that second half, some of our biggest fears and kind of the things we were worried about with South Carolina in the preseason on defense, they sort of showed up in that second half, just as far as defensive line depth, especially with, you know, DJ Wanham, which we didn't really bring up him being out for a month because of ligament issues in his ankle. Um, him not playing on Saturday was obviously a huge, huge blow for this defense. But, you know, just overall, I mean, I think South Carolina on the defensive line simply put just needs to recruit. They need dudes on the defensive line. They need guys. They need a guy like Josh Belt to get into playing shape. I mean, they need to accompany Javon Kinlaw down there. But, you know, when you're looking at the size issue and you got a guy like Aaron Sterling who's 250, 260 pounds going up against an offensive tackle, it's 
340. I just don't, you know, I don't see how you can be in a winning situation there. So well, I, I mean, just think I think, happened. well, but, I just, I was just saying that I think that, you know, they played well enough in that first half for South Carolina to be winning. When you think about the fact that, take, you know, you take the pick six away, they're only up 13 to 10 going into halftime. Yeah. And if Charlton doesn't boot that punt and pin them at like the 20, like he should have, or even the 15, or I mean, anywhere other than like the 40 where I think they got the ball at. Yeah. Just think that if that doesn't happen, you know, you go into the halftime, Sarkhan could have been up. But it's just frustrating to see how much how, how much effort, how well the defense played in the first half just for the offensive scoring right away. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, I mean, I, I agree with you 100%. I think the Gamecocks definitely checked out mentally in that game. Georgia went up 27-10. to 10. I think that the guys on defense sort of just, you know, checked it in. And that's extremely disappointing. And, you know, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not too concerned with it just because I think, you know, I, I I wouldn't want to be one of those guys at practice this week. We'll put it that way. Um, so yeah. <laughs> some of those youngsters who kind of mailed it in early. But, um, you know, I, I just think on defense, I mean, I think – Georgia obviously is an extreme example because they got a really good offense. They got weapons all over the field. I mean, South Carolina, I don't know how many times South Carolina's going to play an offense this season that is as good as Georgia's, but you know, the reality is if South Carolina wants to get to that elite level like Georgia's at, they need to recruit. They just need dudes on the defensive line. I mean, that's obviously something this recruiting cycle I'm sure they're focused on. You got like a guy like Zach Pickens and stuff like that, but you know, they need some dudes. They just need some dudes in there. I mean, that's, that, that's kind of the, uh, the bottom line as far as, you know, the line of scrimmage is concerned because South Carolina got whipped, um, especially in the second half. But, uh, you know, you talked about, Tom, the, the Joseph Charlton punt. I mean, it's crazy. You know, I, I got in my notes here what happened to Joseph Charlton. You know, preseason all-SEC punter, he's supposed to be kind of like this weapon for South Carolina. And, I mean, he hit some – he hit some really questionable punts on Saturday. I really wasn't 100% sure what in the world was going on. But I, I 100% agree and, and think that that – that boxed punt, that shanked punt, you know, right before halftime where Georgia, like you said, gets the ball like they're 40 or, you know, almost midfield. Really. I think he hit like a 16-yard punt or something. It's crazy. But Georgia gets the ball in great field position. They drive down get a field goal. It, it really just sucked the life out of the stadium. It really just – you could feel the momentum go completely back Georgia's way, and they got the ball after halftime. And, I mean, I remember sitting there thinking at halftime, Tom, if Georgia goes down the field and scores a touchdown here, it's for – that's the proverbial nail in the coffin because yeah. one, the offense hasn't shown they can that we're going to get to twenty seven no matter what, and two, I just you could just feel the energy being sucked out of the stadium, and I mean it's definitely what happened. Um, you know, again, not Joseph Charlton's best day. I think he'll have a rebound game, but that was really really disappointing to see. I mean, overall, you know, the one positive Parker White hit his first field goal attempt of the season. You know, good to see with him that that wasn't an issue at all. I mean, it was a pretty short attempt, but overall, good start. Um, and then Debo, I mean, I thought Georgia did a really good job. They've got a great kicker on their side, by the way. Rod- yeah. Rodrigo Blankenship is a that really good kicker. He can kick the, the piss out of it. Yeah, he, yeah, he's a dang good kicker. I mean, he, he doesn't miss. He's automatic. But, you know, talk about Tom just – I mean, I know it's got to be disappointing watching the special teams, seeing what Charlton did. And, you know, unfortunately, we haven't seen through two weeks Debo Samuel really hadn't made anything happen in the special teams game, which isn't his fault. I mean, he's getting kicked away from. There's not much he can do there. But – um just the whole Charlton thing that that was in my opinion a huge momentum shifter when he yeah it really hurts you yeah but I just think that that along with we couldn't get anything going in the special teams part of the game I think that Georgia played really well seemed really prepared for Debo you know well you know I don't think that did they did they let did we take a kick out of the end zone I'm pretty sure Blankenship I don't I don't think so they they took you know Georgia I'll say this to their credit they they really did a good job of just 
they just took Debo Samuel out of that football game. I mean, yeah. in all facets. He he just he couldn't do anything. He was blanketed the entire game. So give Georgia credit where credit's due. They did a great job with him, but you know, just a shame when you know you, you, you hype it up all all week long and Debo's it's not just really frustrating. And I think that's yeah. what most fans feel right now is that not only could we not beat Georgia, we couldn't even be competitive against Georgia. I think that's what yeah. most fans are really just upset about. Yeah, and it's just funny, you know, we, we've seen on social media people, you know, don't act like the season's over. Like, and, and I put on my personal account, you know, today, just, listen, Gamecock fans being upset that they got their teeth kicked in again at home, that, that's, that's, there's nothing wrong with that. Nobody thinks the season's over, but I think it's a good thing, and it, it, really, it really should be unacceptable just to watch yeah. what we watch Saturday to get your just absolute asses handed to you on your home field again in a big-time national game because, you know, I mean, what does it do for recruiting as well? I know, I know it's not so much about the results on the field. Those guys, you know, they talked about last year for Kentucky. It's like, well, the recruits get to see this great environment and that, you know, the on-the-field results really don't matter. But, I mean, as, you know, not to toot my own horn or humble brag here, but as being someone who was a former college athlete who has been recruited before, you want to play for a winner. I mean, you want to play for a team that wins. And the, the fact that every time South Carolina gets on a national stage, they get their asses handed to them, that's not a positive. You can't spin that in any type of positive. You know, our, again, a good friend of the show, Brad Crawford, loved the guy. I met him on Saturday. It was great to meet you, Brad. But his tweet from earlier this week, basically saying when Georgia was doing the sandstorm in, in the visiting locker room, saying that, you know, you could tell Georgia this wasn't Vanderbilt or Kentucky. They took this one seriously. I Spin it however you want, man. Like, I'm tired of seeing teams dance on our graves at Williams-Brice Stadium. Like, you can't spin that into a positive, in my opinion. So, I mean, I think it's great. I'm glad to see South Carolina fans upset. They should be upset. I mean, I, I, again, I, I think you need to have realistic expectations, obviously, because this team was 3-9 and nine three years ago. The job Will Muschamp's done. Nobody's saying Will Muschamp's doing a bad job, but you at least – expect you at least hope and expect South Carolina is going to be competitive in these games and they're just not even competitive and that's the disheartening part in my opinion it's just I mean 41-17 game again I stayed until the clock at zeros I mean Williams Bryce started emptying out with nine minutes left in the third quarter I mean you know it was it was disappointing it, it was it was a miserable time to be honest with you to be there just watch Georgia go up and down the field so um Let's get into our biggest takeaways, Tom. Start with you. Uh, your biggest takeaway from Saturday overall. Uh, that South Carolina's battling, battling for second place for a while. I just don't see, unless Ryan Helensky is just, you know, the next great quarterback to come in the SEC and, you know, he ends up being the greatest quarterback to ever play at South Carolina. I don't think that talent gap between Georgia and South Carolina is going to close. If you look at, obviously, some people don't think recruiting rankings matter and how, you know, online websites do it, but, Seems like on every ESPN rivals twenty four seven. Any way you look at it, Georgia's either like one or two in recruiting classes, and has been around the last for you know since uh, you know, last two years at least. They've been pretty high since Kirby Smart's gotten there. But it's, you know, you can say Georgia's cheating, whatever. I don't care what you say. <laughs> they're better. They're doing better recruiting wise than we are. There's no way you can say they're not. You know, obviously I, I like the players we get. I think they're really good players. But Georgia just has more talented players. You know. I don't think there's a guy except maybe Warren McClendon who you could com even compare to Cade Mays that came in for uh, Georgia. Just, you know, size-wise, probably athleticism. And I just don't think that – it's just hard to say that we're going to be – especially next year when we go – we have, we have Alabama coming in. That's an L you can already chalk up. I don't care what anybody says. Not beating Alabama. 
it's not happening if I just for right now if I had to guess. And then you go to Georgia next year. You know, Florida's probably going to keep getting better if I had to guess. But I just think we're going to be in a constant battle, Florida and Tennessee, for the next two to five – two to five for – next from now until at least, I would say, five or six years, we're probably just going to be in a battle for second place. As long as Kirby Smart's there and having those great recruiting classes and not having it – and not having, you know, an SMU – Death penalty happened to him. I think that there's no chance that we're a real competitor. It, and I don't think anybody's going to be a real competitor, though, honestly. It's yeah. Too good. I'll say with – I mean, I, I tend to agree with you. I mean, it sucks to say and sucks to admit. But I think unless there's a huge – I mean, just a huge whiff from Georgia in the sense of recruiting, maybe like the quarterback position, maybe like Justin Fields just, just somehow, some way doesn't handle the pressure or can't be that guy, which – I just don't see that happening really. But, you know, if it did happen or like you're saying, if some kind of scandal happened or Kirby Smart for whatever reason wanted to leave and take another job, I mean, it's going to be – Georgia's going to be the class of the East in South Carolina. You know, I talked – you know, we we talked a little bit about this pre-show, Tom, but, you know, I talked with Barrett Salida during the spring and he thinks South Carolina can be a consistent eight- to nine-win program and maybe every two or three years really, really push Georgia for the East. I think right now that's kind of got to be best case scenario for South Carolina and for the program. I mean, you know, again, this is a program that's only, you know, we all know the stats. They only won nine games seven times in their history. And, you know, I mean, it's so you can't like really knock a nine win season. Right. But at some point it's not good enough. I mean, you want to get to that elite level, but um, I'm, I'm glad you brought something up as well too, though. Cause I always think it's so funny when I see people say, you know, well, this team's cheating. They're paying for recruits, blah, blah, blah. And it's, it's fun to take in that banner and kind of knock those teams. But you know what? I, you know what my response is to that when they say, well, Georgia's got all those players because they're paying them and they're cheating. Cheat better. Let's yeah. cheat. I don't care what we have to do. Because, it, I mean, here's the thing. At this point, I just want to see South Carolina win a national championship. If we have I mean, to cheat to get players to come to South Carolina, I mean, I'm sorry. I, and for you fans that would say, well, I, you know, I – that I have morals, like I want us to win the right way, like stop. Just get off your high horse. Don't be – I mean, don't be oblivious if you're a, a college football fan and think that college football players get paid. There's no way to look don't, around it. Yeah, don't, don't be, be oblivious and think that Marcus Lattimore, Alshon Jeffrey, Jadavion Clowney, Stephon Gilmore, all of those guys came to South Carolina just because they wanted to. Like, come on. Let's let's all just be honest, right? I mean, let's, let's not kid ourselves. So – you want to you want to win big time. I mean, you know, and again, there's nobody has. We don't have any control over this. This is something that goes on in the inner workings of college football. That God, we could have the longest thirty for thirty on, and there's already some thirty for thirties on stuff that's happened like that. But you know, the whole like, well, they're cheating. That's how they get. You know what? Cheat better. Get a better bag man. I mean, I, I don't know what to tell you, man. It's just like a weak excuse, in my opinion. Like, uh, you know, if that's what it takes, if we need to start paying guys, do it. I don't know who we need to talk to. If you listen to this podcast, do it. I don't care. Let's get them here. <laughs> Let's get them here. So, anyways, um, <laughs> my biggest takeaway from Saturday, you know, we've talked about Jake Bentley's an average quarterback, in my opinion. Yeah. He's not going to go win a big game for you. He's not going to go – you know, he doesn't have that championship gear. He doesn't have that next level. He doesn't have – he's not a – you know, he's not a well, – what's the word I'm looking for? He's just He's just not a – he's not a guy who's going to – he, yeah, he's not a, he's not a gamer. He's not a guy that's going to elevate his team around him um, and and pick up that play of his teammates around him. He's just not. I mean, like I said, I hate to say it, but the facts are the facts. At this point, you look at his stats in the big games, he hasn't showed up. And whether it's all his fault or not, 
number 19, it all starts with him. And he sets the tone, and that's just kind of what we've come to learn from him. So, again, I expect the kid to have a great season. I'll be pulling for him. I'll be pulling for him to prove me, prove me wrong, and I will eat my words here on this show. Um, I will, I'll send him a handwritten letter if you want. I'll send him a handwritten letter. I'll take it. Okay, Chris, right now. I'll, I'll make a bet with you. Okay. Jake never going to be Clemson or Georgia in his career. I don't, I don't see it. Yeah, I mean, well, I, I'm, I need you to go against me because I think that as well. I was going to say if he ever does, if Jake Bentley can ever beat Georgia or Clemson in his career, I'll send a handwritten letter apologizing to the football ops facility. I mean, yeah, I will. I'll, I'll sign up. it. I'll write. I'll co-write it with him and sign it. <laughs> we will. The Spurs Up show as a whole will send an apology letter to, uh, you know, sent to Jake Bentley and the football staff and sent sent to the football ops facility specifically apologizing to Jake Bentley, but. That's our take. So let's get into some armchair game balls. I'll start, Tom. Uh, for me on offense, I'm going to give a game ball to the entire offensive line unit. Really, Eric Walford, the offensive line coach. I think he's done a good job. And Again, overall, the offensive line could have done a lot better things in the run game. Um, but, again, when you get down so early, it's really hard to establish the run and continue to run the football. But, again, only one sack allowed. They've done a great job, I think, through two weeks. I think this offensive line unit, one of the best offensive lines South Carolina's had in a while. But, overall, my game ball goes to Eric Wolfer in that offensive line. And then on defense, I think I may have given it to him last week, but I'm giving it to Javon Kinlaw on defense. Just the guy is an absolute beast. Was in Jake Fromm's face all day, forced the interception. Um, you know, he's a guy that I think a lot of SEC teams are going to get very familiar with, a lot of SEC core. You know, overall, my game ball on defense, Javon Kinlaw. Tom, what's yours? Uh, for my offensive game ball, I'm going to go Brian Edwards. He balled out. I think that he played really well, even though Bentley played like absolute garbo. But, you know, I think Brian played well. I think he's I think he's the most complete receiver on South Carolina's team. Say what you want. If you think Dibbo's better, that's you. I, I like Brian. I think he's probably going to end up having a better NFL career. I think he's the guy that's probably, probably would be like a second or third-round pick. Probably if he comes back for senior year and does well, then he'd probably obviously be a first-round pick, I think, or first or second. But I think Brian's a really good player. I think he's the guy that's going to, you know, go down as one of the better receivers ever come through South Carolina. No defense. I'm going to go T.J. Brunson. The guy just – he seems like he shows up every game. He's the leader of the defense. You know, obviously Rashad Fenton played sort of decent, had the interception. But, you know, T.J. had the half sack, five tackles on the game. I wish he did, you know, chalk up a little more in that column. But I think he's I think he's always, you know, he's always making plays in my opinion. He's he like he's always involved somehow. So, as a defense, I'm going to T.J. Brunson. Yeah, I mean, they say he's steady Eddie. And I, I'd almost give him a game ball just for being a leader and what he said yeah. at, in the post game and kind of holding himself and that defense accountable. I mean, that, that, that takes a lot from him. And, you know, I, I see him as being the kind of that, that leader on defense, that Sky Moore type leader on defense. So, yeah. um, for sure. He's done a really good job of being the replacement leader for Sky Moore. And I think that there's no fan that can argue that. I think that yeah. TJ's somebody, you know, three star recruit from Columbia. I just think that. Nobody would have expected the level of play out of him that he's shown. Yeah, I mean, I just definitely think there's no fan that can sit there and say, like, I mean, we're only two games in, but you, nobody would sit there and be like, well, if we had Sky Moore on Saturday, that that would have made all the difference on defense. Nah. No, no, it wouldn't have. It really, yeah. it really wouldn't have. <laughs> Maybe if we had Kelsey Quarles and Melvin Ingram, that would have made the difference. Melvin Ingram and Clowney would have been, you know, a little bit of help. <laughs> that would have made the difference. Let's just bring every great South Carolina player yeah. ever, put them on the team last week. We'd probably still lose by 14. Who's that, who's that guy dressed number seven? Shamavion Shmowney. He's a new pickup for South Carolina. Let's get him on the field, guys. He's he's a new get, new kid, just yeah. transferred in. Elvin Bingram. That's that's who we need. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, okay. Ball. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, okay. So wrapping up Georgia again. Moving on. Getting out the bad juju. 
Moving into game week, Marshall comes to town for a 7.30 kickoff on ESPNU in Columbia, South Carolina at Williams-Brice. Um, Gamecocks right now, the latest we've seen, sitting as a 13.5-point favorite, uh, over-under set at 49.5. Series history, pretty interesting here, Tom. Marshall leads the series 1-0. They've only met one time. The last time they met was 1998. Marshall beat South Carolina 24-21. to uh, if you remember, that was 1998. South Carolina went one in ten that season, and then followed that up in 1999 with an 0-11 year. Um, so Marshall definitely got the best of the Gamecocks when they were at their worst. Um, Marshall overall in the season this year, two and zero. They've got wins over Miami of Ohio and Eastern Kentucky. Um, Doc Holliday, their head coach, he's 61 and 42 overall. Well, I guess now you add in those two wins, so he's 63 and 42 overall. Actually, five and zero in bowl games, which is a pretty impressive stat for him. Um, they've got 18 starters back from a year ago, a team that went, I believe, yeah, eight and five on the year a year ago. Um, so overall, I mean, a pretty solid squad from a year ago. You know, Marshall's a pretty proud football program, if you will. But, um, you know, I think the first thing, Tom, we need to talk about, need to address, obviously our prayers go up to everybody on the South Carolina coast uh, and the North yeah. Carolina coast for what, what's, what's co- incoming with Hurricane Florence. Obviously, it's a game that has a very big-time chance to impact this game. And by the time this podcast comes out tomorrow, we may know that that game is canceled. So, yeah. um, you know, let's just talk about – we're going to assume, Tom, we're going to move forward and assume this game will be played because Will Muschamp spoke today at his presser, said everything's, you know, good to go, Good, you know, everything's scheduled to go. So, 7.30 kickoff on Saturday. Um, but with Hurricane Florence approaching, Tom, talk about if the game – if the game is played. You know, I'm sure there will be a ton of rain. How do you think that's going to impact – you know, the overall game as far as the game plan is concerned on South Carolina's side? Well, I mean, there's been news that South Carolina, that Will Muschamp's making, you know, Carolina practice wet balls. I think that if it does come down to it's a rainy day, I think that they'll probably end up going some I – th- I would assume I formation and going under center just to make sure the snaps are good. You know, I think they'll probably end up – I would assume they just go pound the ever-living crap out of Marshall. You're more talented than Marshall. You should be able to win that game soundly regardless of whether or not it's raining outside. Yeah, no, 100% too. I think that the running game, I think it was going to be a big focus no matter what this week just because you want to come off of Georgia and kind of reestablish yourself. And you can tell – I mean, you could tell from the press today, from the different – not only when Muschamp spoke, but the different players that spoke as well that they wanted to continue – they wanted to run the football more. And I think that that is something they were going to do either way, but I definitely think with wet conditions – that'll be something they, they focus on pretty heavily this week. And I think, again, you, you, you made the great point. I mean, it, it's – not so much it's, – it's sort of a similar situation with Coastal Carolina. All due respect, I think Marshall's a lot better of a team than Coastal Carolina is. But it's still – you're going to be bigger, more – you're, you're going to be bigger, stronger, faster. But on the offensive line, you're, you're going to be just the, the, the more talented bunch. So, it's a game where you should have a decent amount of success. You should be able to, you know, if nothing else, wear Marshall down and eventually as the game goes, the grind of the game. Sort of what Georgia did to South Carolina, honestly. You should just be able to kind of – wear them down and push them around and get, get get a lot of positive yardage on the ground. Um, you know, one thing, Tom, kind of talking about this Thundering Herd team, Marshall has struggled to run the football through their first two games. They're actually 130 yards per game rushing right now, I believe, is – I'm not sure if it breaks the top 100. I, actually, I think they're 81st, and South Carolina is 80th in rushing offense, if that, if that means anything. But anyways, 130 yards per game rushing, not, not too terribly great for Marshall this, thus far this year. Um, you know, my question to you, Tom, is simply this, kind of following what we talked about. Do you think it's a game where South Carolina could dominate on the ground and shut down the run defensively, something they didn't do a week ago? I mean, yeah, you're more talented. You should be able to do whatever you want to against Marshall. I think that better coaches staff, better team, better players 
just think that we should overall not struggle with this game at all. I think the 13.5 point spread is like pretty bad in my opinion. I would take South Carolina every day of the week for 13.5 points, but I don't know. I don't know what Vegas is saying. Maybe they sent, maybe they're saying something we're not, but I, I, hope think, it's not, I hope it's not a trap game like a lot of tech last year. Well, I'll tell you this. The the game opened, just get kind of back to the Vegas spread. The game opened at 14 and a half, and it went down to 13 and a half. I think the Hurricanes got a big factor in that because I think if if they play the yeah. game, again, it's going to be a sloppy, wet, running the football. And, it's going to be a brawl. It, it, obviously, it's going to be – if they play – if they end up playing the game, it's going to be extremely disappointing if South Carolina wins by 14 points. I'll just go ahead and say yeah. that right now. That would be a very – they lose that game, day. cancel the season. <laughs> I'm yeah, over. But, yeah, but anyways, I think, again, I'm agreeing with you. I think it's a game South Carolina can definitely dominate on the ground. I think they'll be able to shut down Marshall's running. Again, the, the test – going from Georgia to Marshall should be a breath of fresh air for this defensive front and that front seven. Um, yeah. You talked about a little bit, Tom, and I think this is something we should definitely dive into – to me, the bigger question, you know, because I, you, you want to respect your opponent with all due respect to Marshall, this week is more so about how does South Carolina respond? What is South, does South – can South Carolina fix itself more so? Because, again, I think anyone would agree South Carolina is much – they're vastly talent, more talented than Marshall from top to bottom. There's just no question the talent discrepancy there. But can the Gamecocks mentally rebound from a disappointing loss? Because you talk about – a year ago in a game that I was actually at, you know, South Carolina, they dropped that big home game against Kentucky. I mean, one of the most deflating losses I've ever attended. They go out the next week against Louisiana Tech. So, I mean, it's really, when you go back and watch that game, which I did over the summer, which I don't know why I would do that, but it's really hard to believe that South Carolina came back in that game and won. They, they were down 13 nothing almost the end of the third quarter. Jamarcus King gets a pick. You know, and the Gamecocks were able to make a comeback, win 17-16. Obviously, they had to drive down the field and kick a game-winning field goal basically as time is as time expired. So, you know, Tom, to me, you know, the it's going to be interesting to me to see, can South Carolina rebound from that loss to Georgia? Can they regroup as a football team? You know, have people step up as leaders? You know, obviously this isn't that's not acceptable what happened a week ago. This is the standard. This is what we, we hold ourselves to. Can you go out and take care of business against Marshall and not have another letdown game like you had against Louisiana Tech? Because – you have enough of those, and it's a game where against, you know, again, Marshall, they, they're a decent football team, like Louisiana Tech was a year ago. You let this team, you let Marshall hang around a little too long, you're going to find yourself in a dogfight in the fourth quarter, which is the yeah. last thing anybody wants to happen. So, how do you think the Gamecocks, I mean, do you think they're going to be able to, because to me, again, the biggest question, can they rebound, can they mentally get over what happened on Saturday against Georgia? I think they can. I think that, you know, obviously the – the weather's going to play a factor there. I think if they can pound pound Marshall early and just go up, you know, 21 to nothing in a halftime game, basically it's over. I think if you get up like that, I think the defense has to play well. But I just think that it's not a game we should have to be worried about at all. Right. Absolutely, absolutely. So, moving into, again, some other sour news. DJ Wanham obviously did not play Saturday. He's out for a month with a – well, they're saying a month at this point. But he's got a ligament issue. Not really sure how long he's going to be out. It's going to be kind of one of those wait-and-see things. Um you know, Tom, I'm really interested to see who steps up and fills that role at the buck position. I think Danny Fennell did a pretty good job on Saturday. I think he's a guy that can do a good job at that position. Um, Bryce Nallon Williams, obviously, a guy that plays in that role. But talk about what do you see from the Bucks on Saturday? Um, and then coming into this game as well, because I think that's going to be a, a position of importance against this Marshall offense um, that likes to do a little bit of both, obviously, run and pass. You know, Will Muschamp, so they actually like to do kind of like what we do on offense, 
or what South Carolina does on offense. And I, so I think the buck is going to be very important in that defending the RPO, if you will. But, you know, talk about how do you feel? Because I think Wanham is a huge loss, but do you think there's a guy behind him or that, that can fill in that role and maybe not be quite as good as he was, but at least an adequate, uh, you know, fill in for the all SEC caliber player? Well, I think that, uh, you know, you hit it a lot. I think Danny Fennell plays that position really well. I think that Bryce Knight Williams, too, obviously a fifth-year, senior guy that's done a lot for this program. I think he plays really well there. But I think it's going to be a committee thing because uh, I just don't think that you can replace DJ one more the person. But just I think it's going to be, like I said before, just a, it's going to be a replacement by committee like we have at running back last year. It's similar to that. He's out for a month. It's going to hurt. But – I'd rather him be out now, be healthy for the rest of his career, and be healthy for the rest of this season, you know, be there against when we go to Kentucky and we go play the better teams in our schedule this year. Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, this is definitely a game where, you know, he, I even said if even if he's suited up against Georgia, it's a game he shouldn't play against Marshall. You need to rest that ankle, be, get, it, get it right. But, yeah, I mean, you just have to hope he can come back sooner than later. But, again, I think they've got guys that are adequate to fill that position up. Um, the one interesting stat, you know, when I was looking over Marshall thus far this season, Tom, um, Marshall's giving up some yards on kickoff return. Um, they're giving up 25.3 yards per kickoff return, which is telling me one – tell me a couple different things. <clears throat> one of the big things it's telling me is that they're not kicking the ball through the end zone like Rodrigo Blankenship was doing. Because if you can kick it out of the back of the end zone, you just do it. It's not really like a thought. You know what I mean? Something you do. So, you know, I think it's going to be interesting to see. Again, I don't know how like a wet field would play into this. Um, I think it would help more so because the you know the offensive guy or the ball carrier he knows where he's going. The defensive guy has no clue, yeah. so he's the one that's got to make the adjustments and the cuts and stuff like that, and kind of kind of a uh, you know on a dime, if you will. But to me, this I'm really hoping, and I think this might be the week that Debo finally breaks through on special teams and has a big kickoff return. You know, maybe one for a touchdown. That's I'm really excited to see that again, Marshall. It looks like they've been kind of vulnerable in the special teams game and. I think it's an area that South Carolina can kind of get that rolling on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think that, you know, when you play in a team like Marshall, you should be able to expose them in all three facets of the game. I think that – was it Eastern Carolina Debo had the return for a touchdown against – uh, not last year, but the year before. Pretty sure it was – Western Carolina. Western, Western Carolina. Carolina. My bad. Um, whatever. They're basically the same school. Terrible. But I'm kidding. If there are any people went Western Carolina or East Carolina, I love your school. I'm joking. But anyway, um, I think that – you know, if he can get in space and, you know, take maybe the opening kickoff or, you know, in the second quarter and just put that nail in the coffin of Marshall early, it'll help us tremendously. Yeah, no, I agree. And really at any point in the game. I mean, it's just special teams. We've seen how it can flip the game when it's had and how it's just a momentum changer. And again, I, you know, we'll have to see. I mean, they, they probably – I'd be surprised. I'm sure Marshall's going to try to kick away from him again because I think it's silly if you don't, but – um, yeah. I would I would assume they do something similar to Coastal and like try to squib it and just hope that he doesn't get his hands on the ball. Yeah, but I, I'm really I'm really hoping and praying this is the weekend. This is the this, this is the game week where Debo finally gets his hands on the football and can make a dynamic play for South Carolina. Um, overall, with the offense, you know, Tom, we talked about what Jake Bentley did, what he didn't do on Saturday. I mean, um, this offense obviously has to keep going, and you know this this offense has to uh, find a way to rebound. We obviously talked about in the run game. I think they should be able to establish the run and kind of push Marshall around, if you will, at least to the grind of the game. Um, but I'll be interested to see what Jake Bentley can do. I mean, again, it's, you know, it's it's not a big time matchup. I think it's a game where Jake should be able to kind of bounce back nicely. You know, we, I don't, I, I don't, I'm not going to sit here and say I know a ton about the Marshall defense, but I can't imagine they've got the talented guys in the secondary to handle South Carolina's wide receiver and core. I just highly, highly doubt it. 
Um, but I think this is a game you should be able to get the offense back on track. I think, again, there's going to be a renewed sense of commitment to the running game. You've got too many good running backs not to do so. But um, I think it's going to be interesting, Tom, just to see, you know, how much Brian McClendon learned from last week, kind of how they come out and try to attack, you know, Marshall. Again, it's going to depend sort of on the weather when this game gets played. But um, overall, I think this should be a good opportunity for the South Carolina offense to really put last week behind them, have a bounce back week and, you know, score a lot of points on Saturday. I agree. I think that, you know, I've said this like a hundred times, but I think they're way more talented than Marshall is. You shouldn't have a problem with them. If you do have a problem with them, something your game plan is wrong. I think that the offense should be able to expose them, passing the ball, running the ball, doing whatever they want to. But if anything does play a factor, like we said before, it's going to be the weather and hindering them. But if they're prepared for it, then I think that they'll be able to handle Marshall pretty, pretty well on offense. Yeah, I mean, if they've been practicing with a wet ball, for sure, I think it's where it's like, okay, well, you know, not a big deal for us. And you might still be able to throw the football around. So we'll just kind of have to wait and see. But, again, I, I'm pretty confident that, again, I know I was very, very critical of Jake Bentley earlier. I'm not saying he's a completely terrible quarterback. I just think against the top-level teams, you can't put it all on him. He's just not going to be that guy. But, yeah, I think it's a team like Marshall. I think he can absolutely throw for 250, 300 yards, a couple scores, have a really nice bounce back week. And I'm fully expecting that from Jake Bentley, to be completely honest with you. So um, kind of finishing up our breakdown of Marshall in this overall game, Tom, you know, you talk about the strides that he made from a defensive side of the ball. Um, you know, obviously South Carolina got gashed a week ago. I mean, 41 points. That What the happened in that second half? We already broke it down. Um, what do you think that the defense needs to do this weekend to really just overall reinstill confidence as a defensive unit? I mean, I would say get a bunch of three and outs. I think that if you kick the ball and Marshall start the game, you get a three and out, go score a touchdown, then you're you're right back where you left off against Coastal. I think the confidence plays a huge key. I think they have to just – if they get that confidence back against Marshall, it's going to be a big help because, you know, you go to Vanderbilt the next week, that's obviously going to be a game that Vanderbilt's probably going to be up for. You know, they're always – only beat them by a touchdown at home last year. Vanderbilt has a, Vanderbilt has a good team. But I think that's – but I just think they have to have, you know, really good confidence because the next two weeks you go to Vanderbilt, to Kentucky. And Kentucky obviously lost to them, I think it's four times in the row, Chris, or five. Yep, four, four times, times in the row. You know, yep. don't make it five. <laughs> do anything you can to not make it five. So yeah, I no. just think they need that confidence back. It's just, yeah, it's just, they have to be confident. Yeah, I was just going to say after this game, South Carolina's got seven consecutive SEC games. So this – this game is pretty important, I think, just like you said, in the, in the standpoint of just building confidence and kind of being confident in just what you're doing, you know, having a game plan. You know who you are. You know your identity. And, I, again, I, you know, we've talked about it again. You know, we, we've reiterated it. I think it's a game where you should be able to reinstill confidence in your defense. I think you should be able to go out there, win the line of scrimmage, I, you know, just establish kind of who you are. You know, be, I, I fully expect South Carolina to do that as well. Again, well, Marshall hit a player or two there sort of like Coastal did. I think probably so because I think this defense still has issues it needs to fix. But overall, I, well, the, the big thing, I'll tell you this, the big thing I want to see from the defense this weekend, multiple turnovers forced. Yeah. Because I think that's something early on that South Carolina hasn't been quite as good at a year ago, which, you know, again, you play Georgia. They're one of the best teams in the country. You know, you force the interception. But, I mean, they're just a team that's they, – they take care of the football, right? That's why they're a good football team. But I'd like to see this game be kind of the game where South Carolina has their – they're coming out party on defense as far as forcing turnovers, getting two or three forced turnovers. That was something that was just such a staple, has been a staple for the South Carolina defense um, in, the, in the Will Muschamp and T-Rob's third year now. But I'd like to see that kind of get going, get a couple of turnovers, maybe a couple of picks, a fumble here or there, whatever. It's going to be a wet, 
it's going to be a wet night probably in Columbia. You know, who knows? Ball might be come, popping out. Um, so that's definitely something I'd kind of like to see get rolling as well. But, yeah, I mean, important game to kind of just get the momentum rolling. You go to, again, you go to Nashville the next week, go to Lexington the next week, and we all know what, what has happened again with Kentucky. So just getting that momentum going, going in SEC play, I think is going to be very vital. And I think on both sides of the ball, you should be able to do that. Um, talking about just the key matchups, Tom, we'll move into that. I'll let you start. Your, uh, your key matchup you're watching this weekend against Marshall. Um, I'm going to go T.J. Brunson versus Keon Davis for uh, Marshall. Had a really good game against Miami of Ohio. Didn't do that well against uh, – Whoever they played last week, whatever their name is, some garbage team because they're the, uh, Eastern scared. Kentucky. Yeah, Eastern Kentucky. <laughs> Just, sorry, been a bad day for me, guys. Been a long day. Hurricanes got me flustered. No class, and you're today. still you're still off. No class, dude. The nap, the nap, the pre podcast nap has thrown my entire. It's a bad, it's a bad idea. Yeah, because I'm not gonna go sleep tonight until like 5 a.m. because of it. <laughs> but it's gonna be a rough night. But anyway, I think that if TJ can shut that guy down you know, give him a few leaks early and make him not want to run through the middle, it'll be big for us. Yeah, no, absolutely. My key matchup to watch is defensive back Rashad Fenton against uh, their their uh, stud wide receiver in Tyree Brady. Just to kind of give you guys some stats of what Brady has done for this, uh, this Marshall offense. Through two games, he has 15 catches for 182 yards and three touchdowns. So he is a guy that has been very, very impressive for them. Um, a year ago, he had 62 catches for 942 yards and eight touchdowns. So, you know, I, he, has, he has three already this year. I think he's on pace to probably top that. But, obviously, he's a guy they're going to try to get the football to early and often. Um, you know, he, he actually played his freshman season with Miami, Miami Hurricanes. So, if he's good enough to go to Miami, he's obviously got some talent, yeah. uh, transferred over to Marshall. So, that's a guy that I fully expect Rashad Fenton to be following around all night and you know, just a guy that they need to, you know, the South Carolina defense needs to keep an eye on because he's obviously a guy that has playmaking ability. Um, biggest key to the game, our biggest keys to the game. I'll start with first with this, Tom. My biggest key to the game is just start fast. I mean, anytime you're coming off of a disappointing loss the way you had against Georgia and what South Carolina really failed to do against Louisiana Tech, you got to come out and just get some positive momentum going. Something good happened. If you can go, you know, if you can start the game, if you start on offense, go down the field, get a score, or if you start on defense, get a quick three and out and get the ball back to your offense. Just getting some positive momentum going early on and kind of get rid of that nasty taste in your mouth, which is the Georgia game. Because, you know, I, I think obviously the players and, and this, I can tell that the, you know, when South Carolina beat Coastal, it was very quick. All right, everybody forgot about the Coastal game. Everybody's mind's on Georgia. With this one, it's been a lot more because of, I think because it was a loss as well where it's, everybody's just – this loss has been lingering. I mean, it stings, obviously. It was it was a very – you know, it wasn't easy to take. And I think you could tell today in the presser, uh, not Will Muschamp's presser, more so the players when you hear them talk. You know, they have their 24-hour rule every week as a season, all the good coach speak. You can definitely tell. I think it's – you know, it's bothering those guys a little bit the way they perform. So, don't let it – don't let one loss become two. Don't let a bad performance against Georgia compound itself. Come out, start fast. You're the better team. Establish yourself in that way and – you know, again, get that nasty taste in your mouth and get back on track in the right way, and I think good things will happen for you. So, I mean, I think I agree with what you say there. I think they have to get the ball rolling fast, get up, and I think that's on kind of my point too. I think they need to get up early. And another thing I, I want to see out of Jake Bentley is for him to spread the wealth. He did it really well against Coastal. I don't know why he went away for it from Georgia, but don't force feed Debo Samuel and Brian Edwards the ball. You have other playmakers, get them the ball, let them make plays in split space, pad your stats, bro. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you'd like to see a bunch of different playmakers get in. And again, I think this is a game too, where we talk about getting up early and starting fast. It's another game like Coastal where I'd love to see some young guys get experience because especially on the defensive side, again, we've seen South Carolina's got a lot of guys, especially on the defensive front, that need to get snaps. They need to get game snaps and, you know, just get that game experience. So it should be interesting to see. Yeah. All right. Overall, Tom, give me your prediction for Saturday. Again, big. we'll put an asterisk by it. If this game happens, um, how do you see it playing out? I would see something to the score of about 34. 35, 38 to 7 or 10. I don't think that Marshall has the weapons to just go out there and hang 20. I wouldn't even think they could score 20 points on us. I'd probably end up eating crow, and they're probably going to whip us if I had to guess because that's just how my predictions work. <laughs> but um, I don't. I see us, you know, winning by more than 13. I think if it's a rainy day and it's a slugfest, I think that we'll probably just uh, – I would assume we would, you know, go out there, run the ball heavy, try to make it a quick game, and go win 28 to nothing, something like that where you just – obviously the score doesn't look that great, but, you know, when you look at the stats, Marshall really didn't have anything going at all. I think that's what – it's going to go with those one of two ways. Yeah, I, I'm going to go with sort of a conservative score here. I mean, I think South Carolina is the much, much better team, but if it is a sloppy, wet day, I think it's just going to be kind of one of those deals where – like you're saying, you keep the ball out of harm's way, you just get out, of, get out of there with a win. I see South kind of the tune of probably, say, 28 to 13. I'm just, you know, not not overly impressive. Again, it's only a 15-point win. But I, I don't think it's – a, it's a game that I don't think should ever be in doubt. That's the one yeah. thing I'll say. I mean, but I think South Carolina, if it again, if it is a wet day, I think it'll be a much more mellow offense, you know, keep it kind of conservative. Again, keep the ball out of harm's way, you know, obviously with a slippery ball, you know – Again, you'd think they're having these these wet ball practices. But, again, it's just a situation where, you know, keep the ball out of harm's way. They want to establish the run game, which is going to burn a ton of clock. So, I see something to the tune of 28 to 13. Um, Gamecocks win and move to 2-1 and one and get ready for SEC play, starting with the Vanderbilt Commodores. So, um, that's our predictions. Again, we're here to we, – we, we've been here this week to eat crow all week for our predictions. We both picked South Carolina to beat Georgia. Um so we've been here eating crow all week. So take our predictions for for what they're worth. That's all I'll say. But uh, but overall, again, have a fantastic interview coming up now with Rob Paul. He's actually with Armchair NFL with us. Has two podcasts. He's a co-host of Seven Rounds in Heaven and Resting the Starters podcast. So enjoy this interview with Rob Paul. We will catch you guys next week to recap the Gamecocks game against Marshall. Hopefully, asterisk if it gets played and preview the Vanderbilt Commodores. But for now, enjoy this interview with Rob Paul. Appreciate you guys tuning in. All right, joining us on the show today, someone we've been trying to get on for a long time. He's the armchair NFL draft expert, co-host of Resting the Starters and Seven Rounds in Heaven, two of our best podcasts in the Armchair All-Americans Media Network. Glad to have on the show Rob Paul to join us to talk to some Gamecocks in the NFL and Gamecock draft prospects overall. Rob, it's a pleasure to have you on, man. I'm super excited to be here. I've always had a soft spot for South Carolina football and basketball. So, <laughs> Hey, well, good to know. Mesh as well. So let's jump right into it again. You know, I want to get your takes first on some of the guys that South Carolina has in the NFL right now because I think they've got a pretty – a pretty strong number of guys that are doing fairly well, you know, from those Spurrier years. They had a lot of NFL talent on those teams. And there's a guy, there's a lot of guys doing some good things in the league. I uh, want to start with the game last night. We are recording this on Tuesday, the 11th. I uh, want to start with the game last night, the Monday night game. The Raiders took a pretty big loss to the Rams last night. But Jared Cook, huge first game of the season, had 180 receiving yards. He set the Raiders franchise record. 
um, for receiving yards by a tight end in a game. Um, you know, he's, he's a guy that's been in the league for a pretty long time. What are your overall impressions of him just at the tight end position? Man, so Jared Cook's always been this big athletic guy who's basically – you've seen stretches of him kind of putting it all together, but it's never been consistent. And last night was basically everyone who's a Jared Cook truther felt really good about themselves because he was finally being used properly. Like, they had him um, going up against the, – at the Rams had John Johnson on him all night, and it was a huge mismatch because of his height and size and speed and whatnot. But, like, basically everywhere Cook is gone, he's had, like – somewhat terrible offensive coordinators he was with the rams and he was with the titans back uh back when they weren't so good and um so i don't know it was kind of refreshing just to see john gruden knowing at least how to use cook's size and athleticism yeah he was definitely you know just going back to kind of what you said i know in college for sure i remember watching him in his college days he was always a guy who was just a huge mismatch as far as you know, side, size and speed. And I kind of agree with you. He's a guy that you just been kind of waiting to been waiting to see kind of break out like that. And, you know, he's always been pretty solid, but yeah, I thought last night was sort of, I mean, I guess his coming out party, if you will, I don't know if you can have a coming out party when you've been in the league as long as he has, but you know, overall pretty solid performance. Um, I want to talk about kind of interesting, you know, just kind of the other Gamecocks around the league. Um, everybody's got a sort of the joke that the South Carolina Texans, um, just because of all the Gamecocks on that roster, you have Bruce Ellington with a touchdown pa- or a touchdown reception on Sunday. They've obviously got Jadavion Clowney, Jonathan Joseph. Um, is there some kind of conspiracy theory going on in Houston where it's just all Gamecocks that are going? And then you've got Deshaun Watson, the quarterback, that played at Clemson. So a bunch of uh, people from the state of South Carolina on that team. I feel like there's some cons- conspiracy theory sending all those guys over there. Looks like the Texans are just smart. You know, the SEC <laughs> plays the toughest brand of football. Got to attack uh, the draft through the SEC, basically. Um, I mean, hey, you guys, J.D. Clowney from the state of South Carolina, dominant at South Carolina, ends up the number one pick. It's taken a little bit of time, but he is awesome now for the Texans. He's kind of – it's still not – like, it's crazy that he has been to the last two Pro Bowls, and it's almost like he still hasn't reached his ceiling. Because he's such a freak athlete, and it, he's just going to keep getting better. His his pass rushing ability hasn't kind of all come together yet. He doesn't have a lot of pass rush moves in the repertoire, but he's already one of the best run defenders in the league. And I, I honestly think, like, over the next three years, he should be able to be a double-digit sack guy pretty consistently as he, as he like, learns more. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's funny, like you said, he's been at two Pro Bowls, but I think there are people, probably probably ill-informed fans that would still say he's been a bust, which is kind of crazy to think about with, you know, the big plays he's had. And like you said, he's gotten better each year, I think. Um, moving into a guy that's, I think, one of the Gamecocks, he's an all-time favorite Gamecock, a legend, you know, in Columbia is DJ Swearinger um, with the Redskins. You know, I, I feel like, Rob, you probably would appreciate DJ Swearinger because I know you love to watch film probably more than anybody I've ever talked to or ever seen talk about DJ Swearinger kind of what you see from him you know where does he rank among NFL safeties and what do you like about his game overall so he's had a little bit of a weird career he uh he was a second round pick by the Texans and when he came into the league like there was some hype around him he was really nice at South Carolina and 
I love a safety who loves contact and Swearinger definitely likes to hit people in the mouth. Um, so kind of early on with the Texans, he was playing a lot, but a lot of the time he'd go for those kill shots and he, he'd miss tackles. And he was, I don't want to call him a complete liability in coverage, but he it just, the NFL is so much faster. There's an adjustment period for, especially a young safety to get used to the, the speed of the game. So he was playing a lot and he was kind of somewhat disappointing early in his career. And then he bounced around a bit, but ever since he's come to Washington last year in Washington, he was one of the most underrated safeties in the NFL. And he like, he was phenomenal. He's gotten so much better in coverage. He's a far more consistent tackler. Now he's also, he still like loves to take people's heads off, which is something I'm always going to enjoy. Um, <laughs> But he's also like he's become one of their vocal leaders on defense too. He is quietly one of the better safeties in the NFL right now. Yeah, Rob, that's kind of one thing you mentioned. Obviously, he's he's sort of a headhunter. I think I'd put that label on him. How do you think he fits into sort of what the NFL is trying to move towards? With you know, obviously the you know player safety, and obviously there's been a ton of questionable flags, if you will, and quarterback sacks you know we all see the stuff on Twitter and everything but how do you think that you do you think his game can still translate into what the NFL is moving towards which is you know we're not really seeing those big hits those punishing hits across the middle from safeties anymore we're not seeing guys you know launch themselves and really punish wide receivers who are going across the middle I mean do you think his game can remain the same do you think he can still keep that top level when you take that part of his game away or is that do you think that's an adjustment he can make I think he's already started to make that adjustment. Like I was saying, since he got to Washington, he's been a much better all-around safety. He holds up really well in coverage. He can play. Um, he can play kind of down low in that nickel linebacker role. He can play some cover three. Um, I would say early in his career, when he was with the Texans, he was almost exclusively that headhunter type. But his game has evolved so much since then, and like it's been like four or five years I think right. and um now I think he, he's totally fine in the NFL All right awesome well yeah want to talk about a little bit more of a recent draft pick obviously last year's draft Hayden Hurst went first round overall to the, the uh, excuse me Baltimore Ravens um big time tight end um unfortunately suffered an injury I think he's gonna be out a couple of weeks but had a really solid preseason I think a guy the Ravens are really high on I think a guy that in my opinion, was underutilized at South Carolina as far in the offensive scheme. But, you know, we all saw what he did. Anyone who knows Hayden Hurst, anything about him has heard the story. Obviously, he was a minor league baseball player to start out, didn't work out. Walked on to South Carolina, eventually earned a scholarship, and, you know, was a first-round draft pick a year ago. Talk about just kind of – I know he's a guy, you know, Rob, you definitely studied a lot, in him being a first-round pick. What do you like about Hayden Hurst's game overall? And obviously, in his rookie season, it's getting off to a little slower start because of the injury, but – how do you think he can fit as far as in the Ravens offensive scheme? And, you know, what kind of player do you think he can be in the NFL? So Hurst was actually my number one tight end in the 2018 draft. And I, I, I kind of didn't think the Ravens should take him in the first round. I had him more as a early second, mid second round guy, but that had a little bit to do with because he's older, he's 25, right? So I, I, I hate to bang a guy for, being slightly older but it's you kind of have to um but what I did really like about Hurst at South Carolina you you mentioned he was he was extremely underutilized I thought he 
it, the offensive play calling was weird. I saw like tight end sweeps and stuff with him, which I yeah. always found strange. But <laughs> really strong hands, uh, good after the catch, adjusts the ball really well. He could play in line as a true tight end. He he at times he lined up in the slot. Um, he he played a bit of H back. He blocked not terrifically, but a lot of the time college tight ends don't block well at all. And some guys give no effort. He was one of the guys who he, you're seeing the effort with him and that's a building block to turn him into an actual uh, competent blocker. So that, that was always a good sign. Um, I do think like my pro comparison for him was Hunter Henry, the chargers tight end who before tearing his ACL this year was expected to be one of the best tight ends in the league. Um, and I still, I think Hurst is going to be a really nice fit for that offense as it evolves with Lamar Jackson as the quarterback in the next couple of years. Hurst is going to be that safety valve for Lamar Jackson, the kind of guy who can get you six yards when uh, you need five on a third down. He 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 can do those under routes. He's also can attack the seam pretty well. He can kind of go all over the place. I I like the pick. I thought it was slightly early, but it's a good fit for what the Ravens I think are aiming to do going forward. Right, absolutely. I was going to say is we, we were definitely uh, shocked sometimes as well with the play calling with him. I'm thinking specifically the, the tight end speed sweep against Missouri when they handed the ball off to him and everybody's like, no, no, no. And then he gets in the end zone. It's like, oh, okay, that was a good play. He just bulldozes a guy over. So, you know, when it works, it works. But, yeah, there were, <laughs> with, the, uh, with the Kurt Roper effect, there were, trust me, we were definitely thinking the same thing you were as far as the play calling. But I want to move into, you know, NFL prospects as far as this South Carolina team this year is concerned, the 2018 Gamecocks. Um, and I want to start off with a guy, obviously, that you've talked a ton about. I've you know, listened to your podcast before, uh, Debo Samuel. You know, obviously, we're only two games in the 2018 season. And, you know, I want to take into account his entire body of work and not just 2018. But overall, uh, what do you see from Debo Samuel? I mean, there's it's interesting. I've seen some questions about, you know, because obviously South Carolina just lost to Georgia and a loss. There's a ton of different takes and analysis. But I've seen some takes from people that maybe he's a bit of an overrated wide receiver. He doesn't get quite off the break as as well as you'd like to see. Um, but obviously, you can't deny the playmaking ability of what Debo Samuel does, not only in the wide receiver position, but in, you know, in special teams and overall. Talk about, you know, Rob, obviously, what you've seen from Debo on film and what you would like to see Debo. What do you think he needs to work on going forward um, as he moves towards the NFL draft in April? So let me start by saying I'm a huge Debo Samuel fan. Um, I think it was it the North Carolina State game last yeah, year. State the opening game last year. That's yeah, went off. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember that. I, I scouted that game, and I, that's when I really started to like him. Unfortunately, he obviously got hurt, but I he's not a true at the next level. I don't think he's a true number one NFL wide receiver. Whereas I think he's more of a guy who like how South Carolina uses him. He does all kinds of things, and that's what makes him so good. He can play. I, I like using him in the slot. I like the jet sweeps they do with him. I mean, he threw a touchdown against Georgia. I like that play call. But, um, like, he he's obviously a phenomenal return man, so he's going to have return man value. I think he can play in the slot, and the slot's become a super important position in the NFL. Um, he He's explosive after the catch. He's like a running back when the ball is in his hand, especially in space. He generally is able to make somebody miss. Uh, he's really good at adjusting to the ball in traffic. He can separate downfield. We've seen a handful of times he'll make one-handed catches. Uh, I, I kind of – he reminds me a bit of when Randall Cobb was coming out of Kentucky. 
the way Kentucky used Randall Cobb all over the place, that's kind of what Debo does for South Carolina. And I think in the right offense, he can be a devastating slot receiver with return man value. Um, I currently, I think I have him ranked as my 20th player for the, the draft, uh, the 2019 draft. So I am high on him. Uh, some things I'd like to see, I want to see him run cleaner routes and maybe run a more diverse route tree. Um, that's really the only big thing with him because I think his game, he plays his game so well. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think he definitely has an idea of what he wants to do. And you're right. I mean, every time he touches the football, you know, he's a threat to take it to the house, which I think a lot of teams, you know, at the next level could use. Um, you know, just kind of following up on Debo, what uh, what offense do you think, you know, what NFL offense, because you would know better than I would for sure, what NFL offense do you think would be a really, you know, an ideal fit for him if, if he could pick where he went? Where do, where do you think he'd be the best fit? I think just – the first team that comes to mind for me, um, the Dallas Cowboys, they have some issues at wide receiver right now. And Dak Prescott's development has kind of not been trending in the right direction. But if they could get him a guy like Debo Samuel, who you play him the slot, he can make plays after the catch, becomes like the quarterback's best friend type of receiver, as well as adding that return man value. Uh, I, I think Dallas would need a more creative play caller to fully take advantage of Debo. Basically, like with Debo Samuel's skill set, the perfect play caller for him would be a guy like Sean McVay, who's constantly using motion and running jet sweeps and stuff. But that that would just that's like me dreaming. Mm-hmm. But I think a, a team like Dallas would really love a guy with his skill set for Dak Prescott. For sure, for sure. Now sticking with the wide receiver position. <clears throat> I want to move into another guy that's, you know, been talked about a little bit as underrated, if you will, and that's Brian Edwards, uh, the big frame, six foot four wide receiver for South Carolina. Had two touchdown catches against Georgia this past weekend. Uh, didn't, not sure if you knew this, Rob. He's actually got a catch in every single game he's played for South Carolina, um, which would be, I think, almost about 26 games at this point. So, pretty impressive stat. First multi touchdown game, though, against Georgia. And I've seen some projections for him. He's a junior, so, you know, he, he doesn't have to leave after this season he's gonna have a big decision obviously to make after the season's over but I've seen him projected second maybe third round you know what do you see out of him that makes you think he could possibly be you know a big time NFL wide receiver because to me he kind of fits that mold of like a big time you know wide receiver just with his frame and his ability to go up and get the football what do you see out of Brian Edwards right now Brian Edwards is definitely a top 10 receiver for the 2019 draft I I think he is slightly overshadowed by Debo. You mentioned he's kind of underrated. He definitely is. I, I mean, we saw against Georgia, he made all kinds of plays um, when when not everybody else was able to. But what I love about him, really strong hands. He he plays above the rim. He'll go up and get the football for you. He's he's more in the mold of a true number one NFL wide receiver with the size and the playing above the rim and the. Uh, um, the ball adjustment skills, he, he, he needs to work on, I think, creating more separation downfield and work on getting a cleaner release off the line. But he, he's also only a true junior too, right? So right. there's a lot of potential with him, and I, I really want to see more of him. He's a guy I've enjoyed when I have seen him. 
Do you think, let me ask you this, and it's always, there are a lot of things that go into these decisions, so it doesn't really matter what we say, but do you think he's a guy that would maybe benefit from coming back for his senior season and, you know, being the, the true number one guy? Because obviously Debo will be gone. Do you think that's something he needs necessarily? I mean, obviously we've got a 10, 10 more games, 11 more games in this season to play out, and he could just go off and elevate himself to being, you know, he's already, like I said, already projected second, third round wide receiver. But how much do you think, if any, would it help him versus leaving out this year if he has a solid season? Do you think would it, would it help him at all to stay next season and kind of establish himself when he is truly South Carolina's number one wideout? Yeah, I mean, a guy like him, I, it'd be tough for him at this point, especially because of the way the offense is built right now, to get himself into the first-round receiver talk. But I do think if he did go back for his senior year, he would enter um, like the preseason 2020 NFL draft receiver ranks as probably uh, he'd probably to be second, top three for sure though. And, and I mean, if he did return and everything went the right direction, it'd be hard for me to not see him be a first round type of player at that point. Absolutely. No. Yeah. And that's going to be something very interesting to watch. And obviously, obviously we'll just kind of have to wait and see what happens, but yeah, that's going to be very interesting to follow along with. All right, Rob, the, uh, the big question, obviously the, 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 I guess the hot topic this week, I know I've definitely been vocal about it on social media. Anybody that follows along with me or follows along with our, our social media accounts, um, quarterback Jake Bentley, you know, he's got his, you know, you've talked about him before on your different shows on your social media accounts. Um, there's, there are definitely pros with him. There are cons with him as well. You know, obviously one of the biggest cons and his biggest knock at this moment is that he has trouble in the big games against elite competition. Just help me out here. What do you see from Jake Bentley? Do you think he can be an NFL caliber quarterback or do you think he can even evolve into an NFL caliber quarterback? Cause again, there are definitely pros and pluses with him, but I know that there are a lot of things you see as well that he, he's going to have to improve on to, to make an impact at the next level. Well, especially in that Georgia game, he was getting his receivers killed. His accuracy was a question entering the year, and it hasn't seemed to improve. Um, he, he also – he his poise is kind of a mess. He – under pressure, he kind of panics, which is – like poise is – one of the two most important things with the quarterback. He really lacks that right now. Um, he has enough arm. He has – he's one of the tougher quarterbacks that I've watched. He's, his mechanics are clean enough. There, there's things to like with him, but this year has not been off to a great start for him as a draft prospect. I almost – I would almost guarantee he'll be heading back to South Carolina for his senior year. Um because I don't think he'll get drafted if he comes uh, came out after this season. Yeah, that was one of the crazier things to me, Rob, is that, you know, obviously, again, there are things where I think it's kind of a, the popular hot thing to do is leave after your junior season. But it's just hard for me to believe in his body of work. And, I mean, again, it, there's 10 more games, 11 more games left this season. He could, I think he's probably still going to have a solid season. I've kind of, unfortunately, sort of, I'm, I'm, I don't want to say giving up hope, but I'm not nearly – I'm not expecting anything as far as against elite competition that South Carolina plays this season because Jake Bentley just hasn't shown that yet, along along with the rest of the offense. I don't want to put it all on him, but Jake Bentley just hasn't really shown, again, that poise that you're talking about. But the people that were talking about he was almost a surefire thing to leave after his junior season, to me, just 
that just doesn't make any sense in my opinion. I mean, not, not just the football side of things, but, you know, maybe this doesn't have an impact. In my opinion, I think it has somewhat, you know, his dad is on staff. He's got a good thing at South Carolina. He's got a girlfriend there. I know that might seem kind of silly, but I just feel like there's so many reasons for him to not go, you know, and you can have another year of development and another year where you're the man, you're the guy, you're the starting quarterback at South Carolina. I, I just – I can't see a scenario in which he leaves. And, and definitely, I agree with you 100%. I think it'd be a huge mistake because, you know, I, I don't see – again, he's going to probably put up some pretty decent numbers this season, but I, I just don't see it. I agree with you 100% the same. I think he needs another year of, of development and getting better to even, you know, to even be considered as a guy that could come in and possibly, you know, challenge for maybe a backup role or God knows a starting role in the NFL for sure. So, um I want to move to the defensive side, you know, Rob, because, you know, Will Muschamp, that's sort of been his forte, Will Muschamp and Javaris Robinson. And the biggest thing I think they've been known for is churning out NFL quality secondary players, cornerbacks, safeties, you know, obviously a ton of dudes at Florida that Will Muschamp turned out on the defensive side of the ball. Um, I know you probably haven't had a ton of time to take a look at the Gamecocks defensive side because I don't think, I don't think personally there are a ton of NFL prospects at this time, but I know there are some youngsters, probably a guy you've heard of, J.C. Horn, the son of Joe Horn that played in the NFL. Do you see anyone like that on the Gamecocks roster that you could see being, you know, NFL-ready secondary guys that are on the current roster, whether they're, you know, true freshmen, seniors, what have you? Uh, Rashad Fenton, I, I think he's kind of the best of the senior bunch on defense for South Carolina right now. And he's a guy who uh, – remember Jamarcus King last year? Yep, absolutely. He, He's a guy who there was some hype around him. He went to the senior bowl and he had a kind of a disappointing senior bowl, a disappointing combine. He ends up undrafted. Fenton, if he if he ends up at the senior bowl and the combine, he's the, he's the kind of guy with his tape. Ha- there's enough there so far where I, I expect him, if the draft were today, I'd expect him to be a potential late round pick. And he's a guy with who, if he looks good at the senior bowl and tests well at the combine, He's a guy who gets himself into being drafted, I think. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's a name I'm surprised that I just skimmed over. But, yeah, Rashad Fenton, I think, is a guy that I could definitely see me in draft. I mean, he was considered – I think he was considered last year through eight games as maybe the best corner in the SEC, and they even nicknamed Fenton Island for guys he went up against. But, no, yeah, definitely a guy I could see as well. I agree with you 100% there. Um, another guy, just, you know, kind of finishing up here, another guy I want to talk about on defense is Javon Kinlaw. It's been a kind of another beloved Gamecock, if you will, um, just a massive six foot six, three hundred and five pound guy. Really transformed his body in the off season. Um, I thought he had a pretty good game Saturday against Georgia on, on the one interception that actually Rashad Fenton had. Uh, Javon Kinlaw, you know, really got into Jake Fromm's face. Did a nice job of pressuring him there. And you know, I talked to Langston Moore, who's South Carolina's uh, sideline reporter, a couple weeks ago. And he talked a little about Javon Kinlaw because he played defensive tackle for South Carolina in the NFL. Talked a little about we talked about what Javon Kinlaw needs to do. Obviously, his prospects of you know being an NFL guy. And he said that's definitely something that could happen for Javon Kinlaw. Um, but talk about you know what do you see out of Kinlaw? I'm kind of on the fence whether he's going to be um, be gone after this season or not, just because I'm not sure the defense for South Carolina is going to be quite good enough to where he's going to make that big of an impact. I think it'll benefit him as well staying another year. But talk about, you know, what have you seen, if anything, from Javon Kinlaw? What does he need to work on? Do you think he could be a guy that could leave after this season? Or, um, you know, what do you see overall from Kinlaw? 
So entering the year with Kinlaw, I, I actually only knew who he was uh, just from following you, like the Armstrong South Carolina account and you on Twitter because he, he hadn't played much. So I had no summer grade or summer tape on him. But he t- in that Georgia game, to me, he was the most impressive defender for South Carolina. Um, and from what I've seen of him since uh, the season started, the size – the strength and the athleticism. He has the makeup of an NFL defensive tackle. Um, I kind of I, I tend to agree that I think he'll return back for his senior year and kind of be one of the hotter names in that SEC on defensive line for his senior year just because there's not a lot of tape out there. Um, I mean, like you said, there's, there's 10, 11 games left in the season, so he could put himself into serious draft talk. But for now, I would lean on the side of he'll return for his senior season. And he's a guy who could, would probably end up at the Senior Bowl. And the Senior Bowl is a huge thing you can boost your draft stock with. And I, 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 kinda, I, I just haven't seen enough of him to definitively say yes or no, he'll be back. But I would lean he'll be back. Yeah, no, for sure. He he was a guy last year more so just kind of in the mix, but just came in wasn't in playing shape. So I definitely agree. I think he'll build up his tape this season. But yeah, I just I just have this weird feeling. I think he has probably the ability where he could go, but I think it'd be I, I'd be surprised. That's all I'll say. I'd be surprised if he went if he if he went after his junior season. But uh, that's gonna wrap it up, Paul. You know, Rob, we appreciate you coming on. Let everybody know just kind of where they can find you. Obviously, with Armchair NFL, but also the podcast that you're a, that you're a co-host of. Yeah, so I got two podcasts. Seven Rounds in Heaven is the Armchair NFL Draft podcast. It's basically all NFL draft talk all the time. And then we have uh, Resting the Starters, which is the Armchair NFL, just general NFL talk podcast. Um, and if you go on armchairallamericans.com, you can find me. I Most of my articles are under the Armchair Scout name, and it's all basically NFL draft talk always. And uh, my Twitter handle is Rob Paul NFL. Yeah, definitely be sure to go give Rob a a, a follow on Twitter. You'll see some great uh, some great film study overall. Like I said, I don't think I've met any or talked to anyone like Rob that watches as much film quite as much as he does. Definitely be sure again to go to iTunes, give those guys five stars. They do a great job. Rob putting in double time working two podcasts where I just do one. So be sure to go give them five stars. That's resting the starters and seven rounds in heaven and go check those guys out on armchair NFL. So again, Rob, we appreciate you coming on, man. Had an absolute blast. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I love talking football and especially with you guys. Absolutely. Yeah. We'll be sure to have you on again. I definitely like to get you on again as we get closer to the NFL draft, Uh, but that's going to wrap it up for us for the Spurs up show. Again, please be sure to go check us out on all our social media handles, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, of course, armchairallamericans.com. You can check us out there. So for Rob Paul and Thomas Floyd, we appreciate you guys tuning in. We'll catch you next time on the Spurs up show. happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. 
Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.